remember. Um, the place, Mendota High School. The person, me, but a younger, scrawnier version of me who was a freshman in high school. Now, as a freshman in high school, let me just let you know, um, I had not yet even got serious about my faith. It was my freshman year later on that actually this changed. But early on in my freshman year, uh, I was much more interested in girls and popularity instead. And my history class, my freshman year, I was a lot less interested in history uh, than I was in the cute sophomore girl who sat in front of me during history. Um, that was actually my focus of that uh, class period. And it actually was working pretty good um, until uh, it turns out that her senior boyfriend didn't like me telling her uh, that she could do better. Apparently he wasn't a feminist. I don't know what the situation was, but he didn't appreciate that at all. And one day as I was walking through the hall, I turned to go up these stairs and I didn't notice that uh, this sophomore girl and her uh, senior boyfriend were coming down the stairs. And without me even noticing, all of a sudden the books were slapped out of my hands and this boy grabbed a hold of me. He was more like a man and slammed me up against this concrete wall across the hall. I remember just being shocked, not even knowing what was happening, realizing who it was. It was the you could do better uh, boyfriend. And all of a sudden he's screaming in my face and his fist comes up. I don't know whether or not it's gonna hit me or not, or if it's just a threat, but I remember in that moment thinking, this is the day that I get beat up. This is not gonna go well. I remember thinking there is zero chance of me uh, overpowering this guy. Uh, he was like a man as a senior and I was still a boy uh, as a freshman. I thought there's no way that I'm gonna make it out of this. I don't really know what to do. And it was a terrifying moment. I remember it kind of frozen in time. Now, you might never have experienced a similar situation. In fact, for you, you might be thinking Cameron probably deserved it, um, which if that's the case, ouch, okay? But maybe you were thinking, yeah, he, he deserves it. But that being said, you have experienced the same feeling that I was having that day. In fact, I think it's a really common feeling right here and now in our current cultural situation. It's a moment in which you realize that you feel as though you don't have the power necessary to affect the world around you. The world seems to be too powerful and you feel kind of powerless. You feel like there's zero opportunity for you to affect it and you can kind of feel like you are just trapped in an impossible circumstance. Now that might be the situation in regards to your health or the community right now, or um, to be honest with you, what a lot of people are feeling now is the same feeling in regards to their finances, to what they live on, and thinking they don't really know how they're going to deal with all of this situation. Whatever it is, you might find yourself in that same kind of feeling that I had in that moment of kind of being overwhelmed and thinking there's nothing I can do in this next moment. Now, that being said, that's the reason why we're in a series that we're doing right, right now called Neither Anxious Nor Afraid. It comes from a verse that Jesus said to his uh, disciples at a really, really tense time that they had towards the end of Jesus's life. They kind of figured stuff was going to start going badly for them. And he ends up saying in John 14, 27, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And we translated that into modern text as anxious or afraid. Don't be anxious or afraid. I wanna encourage you, if you weren't here for the previous uh, weeks as far as joining us online, watching these messages, to go back and watch these. They're really, really important for the season that we're in. Week one, we talked about how for us, 
we understand that Jesus is in control even when the world is out of control. And then last week we talked about how faith beats fear. This is really important for us. So if you weren't here, jump back online and see it for sure. But as we're continuing this series to today, as the, the kind of world around us becomes um, maybe a little overwhelming, a little bit scary, we can feel like we're in the same spot where it seems impossible to really affect change or we can feel overpowered. And that's actually the situation that I want to talk to you today because that can affect our ability to stay neither anxious nor afraid. I want to talk to you about a story that happened thousands of years ago. It's a story a lot of you probably know because it's so iconic. It's of the Israelites, and the Israelites um, were ended up putting into, into slavery underneath the Egyptian pharaohs. They went there, and then they actually became slaves. They were made uh, into brick makers, and they were helping build all these different things for the Egyptians. But God wanted his people, the Israelites, to come out of that. So he asked this man, Moses, to go and to free his people. Now, Moses is a specific person for a specific task, for sure. Fascinating story in regards to the fact that he was actually raised in Pharaoh's house. Household. And it's actually possible, some scholars believe, that when he went back to plead with Pharaoh, he was actually talking to basically like his stepbrother, the real son of the king, that he was raised with when he was younger on and asked them to let them go. Well, of course, he doesn't want to. The Pharaoh wants to keep all of his slaves. But as Moses prays, God brings plagues that then convince Pharaoh to let these people go. He does. They move out of Egypt and start walking towards the promised land. And then Pharaoh realizes he made a huge mistake. Who's going to build all these temples? Who's going to do all this? The economy is crashing, right? Similar to now. And they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? So he takes his charioteers and he chases after them. And the moment I'm going to read to you next is in this moment where the Israelites have left. And now the chariots are chasing them down and they find themselves in a terrible situation with chariots on one side and the Red Sea on the other. Here's what it says in Exodus 14, 10 through 14. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? That's a funny line, isn't it? Right? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Moses told them, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. They're in this tense moment, right? They see Egyptians coming from one way, and they see the Red Sea on the other, and they say, man, we are in a spot that there is no way we are going to win. Why did you take us here? And I love the fact that as he's freaking out, Moses says these words to him. I don't know if you caught it or not, but the, the first words and the last words he says in his reply is right with what we're talking about. He says, don't be afraid and stay calm. What would be a good translation? Be neither anxious nor afraid in this moment. He says, those Egyptians that look so scary, you're not going to see them ever again. And he says, in this moment right now, God is going to fight for you. Now, here's what happens next. Just a few 
verses later. Exodus 14, 21 through 25. It says, Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with the walls of water, with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. The Israelites make it through to the other side of the sea. The waters crash back in and destroy the Egyptian army, washing it out to sea. Here's what I need you to get from this story, this whole conversation that we're having. First of all, the Israelites had the correct assessment of the situation. You say, well, wait a second, Cameron, it, it didn't turn out that way. Well, we have a tendency when we read these stories and we know the end, we read the beginning so different. But if we just read the beginning without knowing the end, they were making the correct assessment, right? They said, we are all going to die. Here is a sea. Here are the Egyptians. We're in the middle. There is no escape, right? The situation was impossible. They said, this is impossible. We are all going to die. And as, as I said, they were correct. The situation was impossible. But notice... I use the past tense, was. It was impossible until God showed up. You see, here's the reality, okay? It's only impossible until God shows up. It's only impossible until God shows up. Of course, they were right. It was impossible. And then God showed up and an impossibility became a possibility. There was no way that they could even think of the idea of there being a road through the sea. But God showed up and what was impossible became possible. It's only impossible until God shows up. In fact, Jesus said something similar one time when he was teaching his disciples. He was talking about people and their ability to make it to heaven. A rich guy was talking to him. And here's what he says in Matthew 19, 23 through 26. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded, right? It says, Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and he said this, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Jesus says this to them, and they come back with exactly what he was kind of hoping for them to say. To say, then wait a second, is, is there any hope? And he says, no, no, no. If it's just without God, if it's just man, it is impossible. But with God, anything is possible. Listen to me, it's only impossible until God shows up. The other part I want you to see with this is that the difference in strength between the Egyptians and the Israelites didn't even matter. I don't know if you catch this, but they're, of course, looking at the Egyptians coming at them, and the Israelites are going, 
we're toast. These Egyptians are trained killers, right? They're an army. We're just random people who were slaves and brick workers. There's no way of escape. So now we're going to have to fight. We are all going to die, right? Of course, Egypt was the dominant force. It was the brutal force, but it didn't matter because the Egyptians never even got to touch the Israelites. The Israelites had this escape path and all of a sudden, as they follow into there, right, to follow after them and to have battle with them, to follow through and get them, they don't get a chance to touch them because God begins to do work. I love what it says. It says the Egyptians say, we need to run because the Lord is fighting for them. The Lord is fighting for them. Listen to me. This is the big idea. If God is for you, it doesn't matter what's against you. If God is for you, if he's fighting for you, it doesn't matter what's against you. It didn't matter how strong the Egyptians were, how much more of a dominant force they were, how much more training they had. They never even got to fight the Israelites because God did the fighting for the Israelites instead. When God stepped in, there was no chance that the Egyptians had to be able to win. I love Paul actually says something similar to this, this idea that when God joins his strength to ours, that it so imbalances the scales. I love what he says in Romans 8, 31 through 34. He says this, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, for us all, excuse me, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. He says this, God is for us. And if God is for us, no one can truly be against us. There's nothing negative they could bring that would outweigh any of the positive that God has brought to us. Listen, God is for us. And he says, it's proven by the fact that he gave Jesus. If he's done that, surely he's for us in these other ways. I mean, the whole story of us being separated from God by our sin and God coming to earth as Jesus because he cared for us that much that he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. And then at his death, he died to pay for our sin because the wages of sin is death. He had no sin of his own. He paid for our death. And then it says that when he resurrected, he exchanged his righteousness to us. He gave us his righteousness if we put our trust in him. And then that we can have that reconnection to God. He says, if God has done that, I mean, he's done the biggest thing. Of course, he's in these little things as well. Well, I have good news for you today. If you're scared, if you feel overwhelmed, if you survey the situation and you think this just looks impossible, I have good news for you. God is for you. God is for you. He is on your team. He is in this, fighting these battles for you. He has already fought battles for you, and he has won them. He has defeated sin in your life so that you might be set free. It is good news that God is for us. And listen, if God is for us, it doesn't matter what comes against us. You know, Paul, he actually experienced this exact same type of situation as the Egyptians did in his life. 
Paul was a, a person who came after Jesus had lived and died and resurrected and then gone into heaven. And he experienced salvation through Jesus. And he experienced a moment that was similar to this, of struggling through when it kind of feels like overwhelming and you can't make it. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought that we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who raised the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. He said, we face a situation where we were so overwhelmed. We recognized that we didn't have the strength. We recognized that we couldn't change the situation. It was impossible. We didn't have the ability to change it. But what we did in that moment is instead of redoubling our effort, instead of putting our focus on ourselves, he says this, that what we did is we stopped relying on ourselves and we began to rely on God. And he said when we made that exchange of what we were putting our, our trust in, putting our faith in, what we were relying on, he said he did rescue us and he says, and he will rescue us, meaning that we are continuing down this path of trusting him and believing in him. We have placed our confidence in him that he's saying in this situation, it was impossible, but it's only impossible until God shows up and then the situation changed. And he said in that moment, of course, realizing that God is for us, it didn't matter what was against us. And we're not even concerned about what comes against us in the future because if God is for us, it doesn't matter what comes against us. He's got us. He's for us. So to go back to my story, 2002, hot and hurt, Mendota, Illinois, a young pubescent Cameron Graper who was interested in a girl out of his league with a boyfriend who was much, much, much tougher than him. He finds himself pushed up against a brick wall, concrete wall, with a fist cocked, ready to hit him in the face. And in that moment, he recognizes that he is in an impossible situation. He also realizes that he is not strong enough, is not tough enough to be able to overtake this person who is in front of him. And all of a sudden, he's in a moment where he recognizes that he is completely under that control. Hope seems to be lost. But in that moment, somebody comes out of nowhere. His name was Jeff. Jeff was a small town kid and grew up in a small town like me, actually in the same small town, and he knew me. The weird part about Jeff, Jeff was a senior as well, but Jeff was a senior who was already six foot seven inches tall. He was taller than all the people who even were his teachers at the time. And as that fist came back, right, and the, the profanity and yelling was in my face, all of a sudden this, this blur came out of nowhere and pushed, you could get a better boyfriend, out of the way and says, pick on someone your own size. Pulls me away from that, grabs my books, and ushers me out of the situation. I remember this moment like it was yesterday because it was such a tense and then relieving moment. I found myself in a situation, right, 
that was impossible. It was impossible for me to solve. But as soon as Jeff showed up, it solved the situation completely. I found myself in the situation where I was overpowered and overwhelmed for sure. There was no way I could have fought off this guy. He was much stronger than me, but it didn't even matter because this guy and I never even had to get into it because Jeff was for me. And that changed the situation completely. You can get a better boyfriend, didn't even have any interest in getting into a fight with Jeff. I say all of this just to get this idea to stick in your head. Listen, right now, or maybe in the coming weeks, you're gonna have a time where you feel overwhelmed. You feel kind of scared. You feel like it's an impossible circumstance to get through. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you or someone you know is gonna deal with this sickness and it's gonna seem impossible. Maybe it's just society around you, right? And how everything is changing and it, it really, really scares you. Or maybe it's even just like I said, it's your finances. It's just surviving through this. And the situation might feel impossible. In fact, you might feel overwhelmed to the place where you think there's nothing I can do. But listen, it's only impossible until God shows up. It's only impossible until God shows up. He can show ways and he can reveal paths that we can't even see at this time. And although you think this is stronger than me, maybe the situation you go into, whether it's sickness, whether it's pressure, whether it's concern for finances, it could feel stronger than you and think, I don't have enough strength. And I would say, you're right. You're right. But if God is for you, it doesn't matter what's against you. If God is for you, he's going to bring something to the battle that you could never, ever bring. And let me tell you, he is for you. He is fighting for you in that moment. What you need to do is the same thing that Paul did. He says, I stopped relying on myself and I started relying on God. For some of you, for sure. What you need to be doing in these next weeks, you're, you're a Jesus follower. You're a believer. But in these next weeks, when that feeling comes in where you feel overwhelmed, you need to remind yourself this sentence over and over and over again. God is for me. God is for me. God is for me. And as you say that, it's going to remind you and convince you that you are not facing these challenges alone. They might be stronger than you, but they're not stronger than the God of the universe who is for you. I even want to just pray for you right now. God, I ask that you would, you would bring this strength to those who are believers right here and now. That if they're feeling overwhelmed already as they pray this prayer in their mind and say, God, you are for me. Nothing against me. You are for me. Nothing could possibly come against me. That they, as they pray this, it would reshape their mind a little bit. And they would understand that with you on their team, with you looking out for their best interest, that the world cannot bring something that will overwhelm your calling and your plan for their life. And for some of you, as we continue, maybe for you, as I was saying, that if God is for you, it doesn't matter what comes against you. There is still the reality of, of, of this. It's if God is for you. Now, I can tell you this. God is for you. But the second part of that question would be important. Um, are you for God? 
Maybe the reason why you feel so overwhelmed is because you are on your own. You are thinking, I'm going to have to solve all these problems on my own. I'm going to have to do this on my own. And you feel overwhelmed. You feel the situation is impossible because you don't have that connection to God. And listen, I understand that in these scary moments, um, you can feel that way and you can feel like if I don't take control of everything, it's going to spin out of control. But I want to tell you that the same thing Paul did is what you need to do in this moment. If you feel that overwhelmed feeling, if you feel that sense of, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this, I would ask you, would you take and put it in Jesus' hands? Would you take a step of faith, not having everything figured out, but a step of faith, and ask Jesus to take your life in his hands. Listen to me. I love what he said in Romans, right? The idea that if God is sent Jesus to this world, it proves how much he is for us. And listen, Jesus has already come to rescue you from any of your sin and any of your flaws and any of your failures. If you know that you've fallen short of your own standard, God's standards, Jesus wants to forgive those sins and he wants to give you a new future. If you want to take that step, it's really simple right now. We're just going to pray a simple prayer. If it's you, you can kind of feel it's you right now. And I just want to lead you in this prayer that you can pray under your breath, out loud, whatever the situation right now to guide your heart. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for dying in my place as Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. I am sorry for them. Please become the Lord of my life. I trust you with my eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And as you prayed that prayer, I believe God is going to rush into your life and begin to do work. That being said, we'd love to help you as you start this journey. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, let us know. You can throw a seven in the chat. We'll hit you back up, and we'd love to help you in any way we can. We'd love to get a gift to you and help you as you continue on this journey. For the rest of you, for all of you together, Thank you so much. I just want to remind you in this next week, if stuff starts feeling overwhelming, right? If God is for you, it doesn't matter what comes against you.